have you downloaded the free high performance app yet? If not, you really should because there's exclusive content. You get episodes before anybody else. You get daily exclusive boosts, a really cool search function and so much more. If you want to download the high performance app and get high performance daily in your hands, then just go to the app store and use your exclusive code HPAPP. That's H-P-A-P-P. And actually, we've got some exclusive content from this episode where our guests discuss the legendary Tiger Woods. You can hear that only on the High Performance app. Download it now. Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. As a captain, your role is to try and create that culture, that environment for them to succeed. You know, we just need them to, to play to their ability. You know, we don't need to outperform their ability or anything. They play to their ability. They're more than good enough to win. We all talked about our experiences and, and, and how amazing those experiences are in Riley Cups. They, they outperform anything we do as an individual because we get to share it with those people. You have the power of 60,000 people in the palms of your hands. And when you're standing at first tee and rather than thinking, oh my God, you know, get the tee in the ground. I hope I don't miss it. I hope I don't sky it or block it. Just think, when it goes quiet, this place is going to rock if I rip it down the middle of the fairway. And the crowd just go ballistic. They want a reason to scream. Beat the guy that's in front of you. The guy that's standing on the first tee looking at you. So no fear, look him in the eye, shake his hand, say good luck, then be him. So those are three men who are Ryder Cup captains. Sam Torrance, whose career has been defined by this competition. Paul McGinley, who's a previous guest on High Performance and delivered one of the most compelling episodes. And Luke Donald, the current captain who will lead Europe into the Ryder Cup against the United States this year. And the Ryder Cup is fascinating. Remember, golf's an individual sport where you're competing alone, where it's all about you on the green, on the fairway, delivering when it matters. And suddenly in the Ryder Cup, you're having to compete in a team setting. It's Europe versus America. It's an old rivalry. It's an intense rivalry. The noise, the cat whistles, the boos, the cheers, it's all part of this incredible competition. And you're about to hear why captaining the Ryder Cup is so special. Remember, the Ryder Cup captain is a golfer. They haven't spent their lives bringing people together, getting them to play as one, creating a team culture. They've been the individual sports person and suddenly their role is very different. So how do you do it? Well, you're going to hear Paul and Sam talking about their past experience, giving some brilliant advice to Luke, the current Ryder Cup captain. And Luke's also going to share the decisions that he's made, the thoughts that he's got and the plans that he's formulating in his mind to make sure that Europe wins the Ryder Cup against a US team who are heavily fancied and have some amazing players in their ranks. Remember, this conversation isn't about golf. It's about creating a culture. It's about inspiring people. It's about getting someone to perform under pressure. It's about driving unity in a team and so much more. Listen, thank you for coming to this episode of High Performance. If you have a friend who would benefit from this, whether they're a golf fan or not, please feel free to share the things you're learning from High Performance. But let's get straight into it. Here we go, our Ryder Cup Captain's Special, as we sit down with Luke Donald, Paul McGinley, and Sam Torrance on the High Performance Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you all very much for joining us for our Ryder Cup Captain special. Obviously, the podcast is high performance. So I want to start by asking each of you in turn, what is high performance in the context of the Ryder Cup? <sighs> you want me to start? Um, I so. Yeah, I mean, high performance is the ability to consistently overperform, I think, time and time again. You know, and I think we've certainly done that as a team in Europe. You know, I don't think on paper, often we are the underdogs. We are, we're always the underdogs. The Americans are always very strong there. On paper, their world rankings uh, way, uh, way better than ours consistently. But we find a way to win. And, um, you know, I think that is what high performance is really, is finding a way to win even, um, you know, when, when you're not expected to. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think it's about staying in the moment as well. Never get ahead of yourself. Just concentrate on your match. It's very difficult out there to look ahead and see what everyone else is doing because there's nothing you can do apart from win your own point. Or you and your partner are singles, it's your point. And just stay there and just dig in and whatever he does, do something better mm. and just keep going to the end. No matter what, you come off that last green and you've not left one ounce of anything behind you. Very nice, Sam. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the words high performance are what it's all about. I mean, everything that captains do behind the scenes is about creating high performance. And the job of captains is not like it is in rugby and soccer, where you're on the touchline and you're making in-play decisions. It's rare that a captain in a Ryder Cup, very rare. I mean, you didn't do it, Sam, did you? Get involved in giving advice on the course. I don't remember many captains I played under did. There was, was a couple of instances where I should have done, and one I did. And Bernard Langer told me to do it. Another one was Fulke and uh, Philip Price playing foursomes. There's times yeah. where you feel, is it right? Is it should you just step in there and say something? And I think in hindsight, yes, one hundred percent. I think all these guys are high performing athletes, aren't they? And they know how to do it individually. And so you got to kind of keep that that mindset Give as well. Them the trust, gotta, yeah. They know how to perform at a high level. Um, you're just there to kind of observe and then obviously give them information. And if that's how they want to take that information and, and use it. Um, so it's not just about telling them how to play because they all no, know how to do that, that you know. And, uh, but there are instances where, you know, you've seen something in a previous match or a match in front of them and you think, well, maybe that, that will help them, you know, give them a little bit of information. They can take it or leave it. But, you know, I think once Friday comes the morning, you know, you're sort of just letting them go. Let them go. You know, you're trying to create that culture 
uh, and get them in the right frame of mind before Friday morning. But uh, you know, after that, it's sort of let them go go play. At the end of the day, you sort of adjust, I suppose. I mean, I haven't gone through it yet, but I've I've been through it as a vice captain. But as a captain, you know, I think you want to just observe a lot, and then you obviously make. Uh, adaptations uh, along the way um just just depending on how the players are looking how they're feeling how how they're reacting under that pressure uh, all that kind of stuff that that's how i saw it too I, I didn't get involved like sam got involved two instances there i didn't get involved at all i never gave advice i didn't see my role as telling rory mcelroy it's a six rather than a five um i left it up to him and empowered him in the caddies and i said that at the start of the week i'm not going to get involved at any stage in any decision making on the golf course you're the best players in the world You've made great decisions to be where you are, and my job is to observe, watch, and as Luke says, get you know, get prepared for the next roll of the dice, and who's going to be playing in the afternoon, or who's going to be playing the following morning. Um, so there's different ways of doing it. I know Sevi was really involved, wasn't he? Uh, Sevi <laughs> really got involved in playing. He wanted to hit every shot. He wanted to hit, yeah. He's telling him, telling Monty, was With, it was it the seventeenth? No, Darren, Darren was Darren on seventeen, <laughs> and he had to tell him to uh, politely go away. Yeah, leave me alone. I think we've all played and played under very different captains. You know, everyone has different personalities. I had Bernard Langer was my first captain in 2004, super detail orientated. You know, I just felt like I knew exactly my role, where I needed to be, what uh, what was expected of me, my partnerships. I kind of knew in advance. You know, nothing really surprised me, which was good for me. I kind of liked that structure. So I really enjoyed playing under Bernard, but, you know, the next two years later, I was with Woozy, you know, completely different character, sort of a little bit more, less structured, let's go in the bar, have a glass of wine and talk things through, you know, that kind of feel, um, you know, and it was just very different. We won both of them 18 and a half to nine and a half, so, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, you can get the players in a great spot, but sometimes it comes down to, you know, the talent and how they perform uh, on those days. And the wine stuck with you. Well, we're high-performance athletes. <laughs> I love the fact you three are on the red wine yeah. and we've got the water. <laughs> so what would you say are the best attributes of the captains that you played under then? Again, for me, it was communication, uh, kind of having that clarity, that that uh, understanding what the plan was um, ahead of time. Um, you know, I think most people... Uh, especially the 12 that we have now, I think they appreciate that. Uh, they they want to kind of have a, a sense of what's going to happen, a sense of who they might be playing with, just to, so they can prepare. That's important for me, you know, is this is that, that constant clarity, that constant communication. I'm interested in how all three of you kind of approached it. You know, as we sit here now, you've both done the job. You're very close to doing it. Did you have a really fixed idea of the kind of captain you both would be and and are you sitting in now with a very clear idea of the captain you will be or is it about getting everyone together and feeling it well i wanted just to look after them individually right and make them feel special how did you do that talk to them take them aside just be a pal really to me the captain was always daunting it's kind of like the headmaster in the school that's why the vice captains are great you know, so you can go to the vice captain and say, I've got the wee problem here, can you get it fixed? He'll either fix it or take it to the captain, he will definitely fix it. But the captain was kind of up there, you know, so it's different for me to be that man up there. I was normally the reprobate causing them trouble. But just make sure that we're feeling okay and relaxed and 
Yeah, I think show them that you care that that, that uh, you know that they're important and you're doing all the work to give the, them the, the best team to to succeed. And um, yeah, I don't think you can really change who you are. I mean, I've had to maybe become a little bit more outgoing, extroverted. You know, uh, up my communication. I'm I was someone that kind of stuck in my own lane as as a player individually. I think a lot of us do, you know, we're, we're sort of, isn't it, very individual sport. You mix a little bit with players, but, you know, you're very single-minded about what you need to do to be successful. Ryder Cups are a little bit different. You, you want to keep that mindset with the players, but, you know, you want to create that belonging that, that everyone is there and that you care about them. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, for me, that, that was a big, that's been a big thing for, for me and my captaincy. Can you give us any tangible examples of how you demonstrate that you care for one of your team? <laughs> I guess it's just constant communication, constant feedback, you know, wanting to hear from them as well. You know, not just thinking that I know everything, just getting their opinions, getting their takes. You know, I think that's that's important. Uh, there's, there's certain things I, I, I won't go into because they're, I think they're sacred to the team of how to, to create that belonging, that uh, getting guys feeling comfortable around each other. Um, certain things that that we've we've done as a team. Some of these aren't secret. You go, you know, you create dinners. You go out to dinners, and you know, you just get to know them. Um, even my wife Diane plays an important role. You know, I think talking to the wives, making them feel uncomfortable, the partners, um, girlfriends, all those. You know, so you know, once we get there on the match week, um, you know, we we already understand each other a little bit more. We're already happy in a team room together we're not feeling like you know the rookies are in one table and the superstars are on another you know everyone's mixing together and and uh, involved uh, with each other so that's kind of my philosophy anyway i think there was a there was you know on that you know winning a team you know you're going to have some stars who are guys who are the superstars and are going to be the guys you know taking the heavy load in terms of playing big matches and a lot of matches and then other guys that are going to come in and play a lesser role in terms of lesser matches. Um, and so there is that natural divide in every team. Um, and I was part of the vice captaincy in, in 2012 in Medina. And one of the things that came out of Medina, Ollie was the captain who was very instinctive. So he made his decisions based on his heart and his soul more than analytics or anything else. Now, there's not many people as, as big a heart and a soul as him. And, you know, we were all waiting. And sometimes he was waiting till five minutes. You know, the guys were in play in the morning and he wouldn't put the team for the afternoon in until literally he wouldn't make his call well, until five second. minutes before. So that was causing chaos yeah. for the guys. As Luke says, a lot of them are like him, kind of OCD style structured and like to know what they're doing. And you got four guys back in the locker room climbing the walls, not knowing whether they're teeing off in an hour or not. And Ollie was, you know, and at the 11th hour, he'd make his call. So one of the, th one of the things in the debrief that we found from, um, from Medina was the value of maybe instead of having four vice captains, one to follow each game and the captain to roam, that we needed a fifth vice captain right. to be with the four guys who were not there. So there was a constant stream of communication back rather than somebody having to come off the golf course to go in and say, wait a minute, guys, he still hasn't made his decision. I'll be back in half an hour then back out to follow their game again, which is what Thomas Bjorn had to do. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that evolves. And, you know, you got to be careful because communication is so important and you don't want the guys who are not playing to feel second rate. As Alex Ferguson said to me, you know, never give bad news on its own. Always give good news with it. You're not playing in the morning, but... 
I did that with Graham McDowell. You're only playing three matches, but I'm going to put you out number one in the singles on Sunday. So, you know, there's a yin and a yang there. And so, you know, that's what good communication is about. You see, this is interesting though, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you're a golfer, right? Suddenly you're going to have to employ a load of skills that the guys have just explained about understanding human beings, communicating, solving problems, stuff that you haven't had to do for your career. So I wonder where kind of fear and doubt and imposter syndrome is sitting for you at the moment, having to do something that you've not done in a long and distinguished career. I mean, I think there's fear in everything that you do in, in life that's tough, you know, but that's part of it. You know, I'll be nervous. I was, you know, in practice trip, you know, when I talk to the guys, it's not my natural place, but, you know, if I'm prepared, then I can can do it and I can send the right message. And, you know, I think once you step towards that fear and you go through it, you like, you come think about about it 10 minutes later and you're like, oh, it wasn't, wasn't so bad, you know, it's, it's fine. So, yeah, I think there's fear in everything that you do, but uh, I've tried to step back a little bit too and enjoy the journey as much as possible because, you know, again, a lot of the past captains have told me that, you know, it goes quite quickly, it's, it's high pressure. Monday it's, to Thursday is just extraordinary. Yeah. It's gone like that. Yeah, and there's a lot going on and it's a very busy week, the Ryder Cup, you know, as a player even, you know, it's a long week. There's a lot going on. There's dinners, there's gala dinners, there's opening ceremonies, there's uh, all kinds of like videos and, you know, fun things for the team. And there's a lot, you know, I've certainly the last couple of weeks, you know, I feel like I wake up an hour or two before I should be waking up because my brain is, you know, all got all these thoughts and all these things that I'm trying to figure out and plan and, you know, I have, I write notes down a lot. I've, I always have a notebook. I, I write things down. I put things in my phone, and you know, I think that's just the the way I am. Not, not every every captain would be like that, but uh, you know, I like to listen and and learn from from the people that that came before me. Well, that's great, Luke. That's exactly what your job is, and a lot of it is just listening to your players, to your team, what they're saying, what they're doing, how's he feeling. And it, it's so instinctive. You, you, you'll fly through it. The skill sets of the vice captains is important too. You know, where you're weak, you put somebody in strong. Um, I mean, I had Sam as a vice captain um, because, you know, he's got this effusive energy that, you know, was going to radiate through the room. And it was really important, you know, to have that. I wanted a vibe, you know, so I made sure that I had vice captains who were going to have a vibe about them. Um, that's, you know, that's that's really mm. important. So... Luke was saying there about him being structured. I'm the opposite. I'm really unstructured. So I had to force myself to write things and take a notebook, as he says, and write things down on my phone. And I mean, you learn that, you know, you learn that. And it makes you grow as a person. You know, it certainly, certainly made me do. I'm sure you'd feel the 100%, same, Sam. You know, you do. You'll come it's out the other side of this as a, you know, a more rounded person. It's such an honor to be ready to come captain. Yeah. Yeah, and I was pretty pretty anxious when I first got the call to be it. You know, obviously, I, you did know, you, did like, you see it can I do this? Were you expecting the call? Or? Well, I obviously applied to, to try and be the captain, so it was it was a nice surprise. Uh, you know, when it happened, but yeah, you you always question yourself: Can I do this? You know, I'm 45. Um, you know, am I ready? Uh, is this you know what does it entail? But you just take every day as it comes, and you just keep moving forward. And I think you know, I've certainly learned a lot over the last 13, 14 months that I've been in this position. So like it's what? been learning that I can do it, I think. Uh, learning that, you know, my players are behind me, and I think, and, and I'm and I'm behind them. So, you know, I think that's that's really the most important thing. 
What's the application process for like to apply for the job of captain? I've probably changed over the years. I don't know. For, for me, it was like a there's five people on a committee, and yeah, you just you pretty much like a job interview. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it has evolved a lot. Ken Schofield came to Mark James and I said, "You two are the next two captains." Is that what happened? Take your pick. Really? And I just won the French Open in '98, and I said to Jesse, I, "I think I can actually make the team." So he took Brookline. So good move, Sam. Well done. Give him the away one. That, that was that was a <laughs> first, short move. First tick in the box as a captain. Yeah. yeah, captain at home. All three of us have done it at home. It's a hell of a lot easier than doing it away. So is it? I don't know. Oh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't have <laughs> thought it's so. more enjoyable. Probably. I found it easier to play away. Yeah, no. Remember you telling me that? Because well, well the crowd really annoyed you. Come on, explain what you mean. Well, get you out, get you out. You know, it's it's great. The atmosphere is wild. But when you're underdogs and they're trying to, they're a little bit, sometimes can be a little bit unkind. And it just makes you madder and just want to play better. And, you know, there's less uh, expectation when you're abroad. But we liked it, you know. We liked it a lot, I thought. So can we go back to the application process? Because I'm interested in what kind of questions are they asking you then when... And what answers are you giving? Yeah. (laughs) What kind of captain would you be? You know, what do you think we need to change from from whistling straights? The result. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's recreate the process then. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't that fun. (laughs) Luke, what kind of captain would you be? Uh... Well, a winning captain, you know, I've, I've played on uh, four teams and won every one. So I think I know a little bit of thing about winning. And uh, I can't even remember what I said in that thing. But uh, you yeah, mentioned obviously, winning. I, I mentioned winning. I, I think um, we came off our, our worst loss in a, a long time, uh, whistling straights. And needed. We, we've always had a pretty good template of success and stuff that we've done well. But... That year, we just didn't perform. Um, the players didn't really show up, you know, and I think we needed to, to, to do some changes. So, you know, for me, it was um, enacting a different qualification system. It was bringing back a, um, a, a new match play event, the Hero Cup that we did. You know, and some of that stuff really had an impact on, on some of the picks that I made. Uh, it really did, and it was really worthwhile. And I hope it continues uh, for years, years to come because it... You know, there's we don't have many match play events, so you don't really see how these guys perform as a team and how they bond and how they connect with each other. And under those circumstances, when you're playing for a teammate, there's a little bit more pressure on the line than just playing for yourself. So, you know, you get to really see how they uh, react in those situations. And um, yeah, the, the the qualification system tweaking that was important. You know, we we want our strongest players and we want some informed players and. We don't want guys that have played really well like in February or March and then sort of tails off, but they've just done enough to hang on to those automatic spots. So, again, certain things like that uh, that I put my case over and, um, yeah. So, for the uninitiated, there are players that are there on merit and then you get your pick of players as well. Yep. So, those players that you've had the choice to, to select, how have you got the balance right between what makes a good team and like, who's going to well, win we'll a game? See, of we'll golf? see in two weeks if I get the balance yeah. right. But uh, I hope so. I think uh, we have twelve very strong guys, but 
yeah, it'd be hard to pick six rookies because again, there's some uncertainty there. You don't, you don't really haven't seen them in that situation uh, and how they've performed. So you need some experience there, people that you know that you can count on, that you've seen them perform in those high pressure situations that they they've turned up in those big moments and uh, been able to, to kind of perform at a very high level. But you you need to have rookies as well. I mean, you need to trust that there's going to be a new generation of people, the future. And I was a rookie once. We were all rookies at one point, um, you know. And my first Ryder Cup, we had five rookies on my our team in 2004, and uh, we still were, were very successful. So the way you pick those is you're looking at form, but you're also looking at you know how they performed over the last year, and you know certainly my job. Uh, uh, maybe slightly different to some captains, but I've been playing a lot you know, this year and, and last year because I felt like it was great to be around these guys as much as possible to see how they're playing, see see them how they react when I'm playing with them, you know, and just 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 gauging these little things, that, um, you know, their mannerisms, their their body language, their the way they handle these kind of situations. I think you, you can tell a lot, and uh, certainly some of those. Uh, things went into the decisions that I made when I when I made my picks. So, what are the kind of mannerisms or the little ticks that you're looking for? You just don't want to see them very phased. You want them to see them, you know, quite uh, that they can handle that situation. I suppose, um, you know, some some people handled it better than others, and s- some people really struggled. I think, you know, they just didn't perform at a high level because they wanted to. They felt too much pressure to perform in front of me, but. Again, you're just trying to gauge, uh, you know, some of their body language, just the way they they their games are, the way they play, all these little things, uh, really. And uh, you're just trying to keep a mental note of that for the last thirteen, fourteen months. So now you've both had a couple of glasses of red wine. What did you think of his picks? Um, I think he was in the very luxurious position of having unbelievable choices. Yeah, I can't remember a captain being blessed with having so many choices that he couldn't get it wrong. And then it goes down to your point, which is how do you blend the team and potential partnerships? I think the Hero Cup, uh, who who did what in that, uh, past records on that golf course came into it. And then you got this guy coming up on the rails called Aberg, who was, by all accounts... and Sure go. Yeah, yeah. But he's I mean, never even Luke, played a major, right? Yeah, but Luke's team, Luke's backroom team have been tracking this guy since he was an amateur. This guy is not something that just came on their radar two months ago and they thought, oh, this guy looks good. They have scoured every European with a passport in the last two years to get to this point. This is not by chance that uh, Luke has got the team that he has. There's a huge amount of work and research going on behind the team. And and that's his statistics team who are doing that. And, you know, he was flagged to you as an amateur, Luke, wasn't he? Able, yeah, absolutely. Know. We've known about him for a, a year or so. Obviously, I, he, you know, he went through the college system just as I did. Um, you know, I, I'm very good friends still with the, the college coach that I uh, was under, and he 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 knows all the, all about these guys. And you know, and we've been tracking him. He's been playing professional tournaments. You know, he played in Dubai at the beginning of the year. Was in the top three or four, I think, through two rounds. And, you know, just as an amateur, that's that's pretty impressive. You know, even I was a really good amateur, very good college player, probably best college player for a couple of years. And, you know, I played some professional events. I didn't nearly do as, as well as him. So, you know, his his pedigree is very similar to a Hovland or a Ram that were in college. 
what he's achieved. So we we knew he was going to be good. We didn't know ex- exactly until he turned professional how how he was going to react in in that situation. But he took to it pretty quickly. Um, very consistent, you know, compete at a high level on the PGA Tour against the best players in the world. And then obviously, in the last couple of weeks of qualification, he came over. He showed commitment uh, that he wanted to try and impress me, impress the team. I mean, the very first time I played with him in Detroit, he was nine under through 16 holes. Again, to go back to, you know, just pairing up with some of these guys and seeing how they react, he wasn't unfazed whatsoever. You know, he just took in his stride. It looked first, very first tee shot, the very perfect line, slight draw, 320 yards down the middle. I mean, not an easy tee shot. And, uh, you know, it just... It's just he made golf look very simple, and um, you know I think when he needed to step up, he did step up, and he, he birdied four of his last five holes. You know, he, he, immense talent and immense uh, uh, future for this kid. The difference is, um, you know, you get talent coming out all the time, and and we see it in golf, and we understand somebody comes out, they hit the ball different, they look good. Yeah, that's great, but we've seen loads of those, and only one out of ten of those that we see that look special kind of really come through. A wise man remember telling me years and years ago, you know, um, golf is about performing in the allocated time, under pressure, under gun. So that's the points that Luke is making there. In Dubai, among professionals, he performed, playing with the Ryder Cup captain, knowing that he was potentially being thought about under pressure. He performed, coming over under Luke's um, direction to come and play in Czechoslovakia uh, and then play in Switzerland, knowing that, He's part of the conversation, but he needs to do something to make it. That's the allocated time. And again, he performed. So not alone did he have the talent, he now performs under the pressure and the heat. Um, and, and they're two different things. And when those two blend together, it looks like we got something special. The next section of today's podcast is brought to you by Indeed, the UK's number one job site. They offer powerful matching technology and features such as company reviews, salary filters, and their work well-being score to help you find the perfect place to work. Indeed makes finding better work easier and more effortless. And today I wanted to talk to you actually about how work can work better for us, specifically the ways in which workplaces can better support their people so that that people can thrive and feel fulfilled. And I wanted just to go through some of the things that are important to me and the businesses that I'm involved in that I think can help you flourish. Let's call them employer green flags. So before I start, you know, I have a few businesses with over 300 people combined. Um, one of my businesses is a TV production company. And for the last few years, Every single year, we have been named one of the best places to work in television. And I believe that is because of our culture. And one of the key hallmarks of our culture is communication, communication with the team around us. And I think that a business that communicates with its people is a business that brings its people on board. It goes on a journey with them. I hate this idea that we're working for a business. And I much prefer the idea of working with a business. Like I believe that every business is a is a recruitment business because what are you? You're only the people that work for you. A business isn't the infrastructure or the office or the logo or the sign outside or anything like that. It's the people that are in the building. And in our TV production business, the Whisper Group, one of the key hallmarks is communication. So every single week, we make sure that um, a newsletter goes around letting the team and it's a big team, know exactly what's happening, our wins, our losses, our successes, our failures. I think it's important to talk about both. 
But the wins, I think, are really exciting for people. Um, and our CEO, a guy called Sunil Patel, has always been brilliant at making sure that he calls out the great moments. The other thing that we think is really important is that anyone in the business can be involved in any part of the business. So if there's a big pitch or a big opportunity to win some work, it's not just the senior people or a specific group of people that work on that. We actually put out a mail to the whole group and we say, look, if you've got an idea for this or you want to work on this project, doesn't matter what your role or what part of the business you're in, we'd love to think about that. And I think recognising the talents and the skills that your people have got is so important. We talk often on this podcast about catch people in. And that's what I think a great business does. It doesn't catch people out and point out where they're struggling. It catches them in. It's also really important for businesses these days to be flexible. Everything has changed in the last few years. And I think there used to be this idea that to get people to be good in the workplace, they had to be clocked in at a certain time, clocked out at a certain time. You had to watch them like a hawk to make sure they were delivering. The truth is, if you trust and empower the people in your business, they will just work hard for you because they love the business they're working for. That idea of the carrot rather than the stick is so, so important. Um, mental and physical well-being is also at the forefront of how businesses operate these days. We've only got a very small team of people that work on this podcast. Literally a handful of people produce the high performance podcast, but their mental and physical well-being is more important than anything else. More important than the download numbers, than the impact, than the content we're creating. Them being happy means actually everything else follows on. And the final thing is that businesses need to be places of learning. You know, we love the conversation on this podcast about being lifelong learners and every single business should be a place that encourages their people to grow and to learn. There's nothing worse than a restrictive business where they say, there's your box, there's your position, stick to it. Encourage your people to grow, put them on courses, find them mentors, help them to learn, help them to grow. I think it's so important that we remember in business these days, it's not just the employee working for the employer. It's making sure that you as the employee gets the employer to work for you. It's a two-way street. And if you're interested in a career change or finding the perfect place to base yourself, then indeed.co.uk might just open up some amazing opportunities for you. Thanks for listening. Our next partner, you won't be surprised to hear, is AG1. Look, we've been working with AG1 for months and months now, and it is something that for me is a non-negotiable in my day. Uh, one scoop, first thing in the morning, and I've got 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients inside me. And I honestly believe it increases my immune system, improves my mood. I think I sleep better. I've got more energy. I've told you this so many times over the last year or so that I thought I would invite someone onto my podcast making their high performance debut to tell you what she thinks of AG1 because we take it together. It's my wife, Harriet. Hey, Harriet. Hello. So um, this is totally unnatural for her, but she promised me that she would give it a go because she loves it as well. So what do you think of AG1? I personally love it. I'm a mum of two small children and with you being away a lot. Um, I honestly think AG1 has been so good for me. It's the first thing I have when I wake up in the morning. It's my go-to drink and it's just a great habit that I've formed. And although it's just a small change in my day, I've seen such a huge impact on my energy levels, um, my sleep. And I think in the past year, I can't think of any times when I've been really poorly in bed. I've just been um, so healthy since starting taking it. So I'd highly recommend it. There you go. 
If you don't listen to me, maybe listen to my wife. And if you're interested in getting involved in AG1, if you want to take ownership of your health today, then why not give it a go? AG1 are offering you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com forward slash high performance. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash high performance. Thanks, Harriet. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talking of picking players, obviously... You didn't pick him in 2014, did you? <laughs> You're going to bring that up. <clears throat> yeah, I think we should. Let's get to the bottom of this. I think we should. This should be the... F- I'm the blaming f- Sam. He was my vice captain. Right. So we've got the captain and the vice captain not picking the current captain uh, in 2014. I think excuse we should me, finally get won, to the bottom of me, this. Who won in 2014? Do we have any boxing gloves under the, uh, under the table? I think he did the right job. <laughs> I think he did, but yes. I, I think it's, it's just very no, interesting. No, you're not. You're stirring it up. You're I'm not getting there, Jake, okay? <laughs> you should be having the two glasses as a wine and not us. Great, let's, yes, we should all be on the wine. No, but I think it's very interesting how you make these decisions, how you deliver the news, but also how the players take that news. I mean, I, I don't know, does it still sting now? The hardest or? call to make, isn't it? It is the hardest call. I had to make it It's very, the happiest call for I certain a, of a them. Few, a, a few tough, the hardest, tough, tough calls, ones. especially one, but um, I mean, yeah, I was, you know, when you get that call and you're not, when you're left out, you feel a little bit, you know, lost. You're like, wow. It's so disappointing. You know, two years before, I was playing number one in the singles in Medina, and then suddenly, you know, my form did drop. I mean, I, I understand that. And I think as a player, you realize that you have the ability to get into the automatic spots. And if if you don't, it's out of your hands. And it's, that's a little bit on you as a player. You should always, you always have the ability to control your fate. And if you play well enough, you're going to be there. And I certainly, my form had dipped a little bit. I still would have backed myself to to be on that team and perform and and uh, and contribute, but you know it was it was tough. Uh, I certainly my game. I'd, I'd lost a little bit of confidence in my game. I'd gone through a different swing coach in 2013, um, then went back to my old coach, and you know there was definitely some some things uh, prof- in the in the professional world that weren't weren't going my way. So they they understood that. They were watching me. They they saw that. Um I, I still, you know, obviously still, still think hurts. I could have it still hurts. hurts. It still hurts. It Absolutely. does hurt because That's you know you, you. there's nothing quite like a rider cup. You want to be a part of it. You you've you know uh we talk about this even, you know, we had a practice trip in Rome uh just yesterday. And um we all talked about our experiences and, and, and how amazing those experiences are in Ryder Cups. They, they outperform anything we do as an individual because we get to share it with those people. And, that, and that's what I lost. I lost that ability to be in that team and, and be in that, uh, to share those stories. So, of course, it, uh, it was disappointing. I think you've done a great job, your picks, because this year is different. There's only six spots, three from the world rankings, three from European Tour to make the team. I mean, you can pick six players that you know are going to make it, virtually certain. 
And I, I think you did a fabulous job with Alice Six. Yes, you had a difficult decision. I'm sure you're talking about Moronk. You know, he'd won Marco Simon, but so did Hoygaard. He won there as well. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you just, just got to understand, things, again, yeah. I've been in this role for 13, 14 months looking at these players, looking at stats, yeah. looking at everything, looking at um, all kinds of things. And so every Ryder Cup, there's always one or two guys that think they should be there and they deserve to be there. And uh, it's very disappointing. It's disappointing for me because I, I, I've been through that. Mm. I've been on those the end of those calls where you didn't make the team. So I understand it and I have certainly a lot of empathy for those guys. And I tried to show that to the guys that didn't make it, you know, and... Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, part of being a leader and a captain. You certainly have to make those tough decisions at times. But as, as Sam said, I'm, I'm very happy with the, the 12 that we have. His memories of 2014 ring true with yours? I mean, it is about those tough decisions. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it was a very tough decision, obviously, for me, Luke. You know, he was the next man in. Um, and it was a tough decision um, at the end of the day. And I remember, you know, it was the count fall I hated having to make. Um, you know, Luke's first Ryder Cup match, I was his partner. In 2010 and 12, under Monty and Alazaba, where I was a vice captain, my job was assigned to look after Luke. And he played brilliant in both of those games and were number one in the singles and winning that as he started out that comeback on the Sunday to, to, you know, to Medina. But, you know, I had Molinari. The stats guys were telling me Molinari was the guy to pick, uh, Francisco Molinari. I didn't feel he had the steal in his game that he subsequently got when he started working with Dave Allred in the next year or two and going on to become Open champion. And, you know, Lee Westwood was there on the edge as well too. And it came down to Luke and Lee. And I just felt September, Glen Eagles, big heavy golf course. Lee's game would more suited to that challenge. Um, and then, you know, the big thing was Luke's form had gone off. Um, that was a big problem. I think I stand corrected on this, Luke. But if I remember, it was I think your best finish from May until the qualification was 40th. So I didn't see a lot of form and I was hoping for form, anything um, and I know you were trying hard. You were going through your, your your swing changes at the time, and you know I had to make a call at the end. And and uh, I felt that Lee was um, going to be more suited to that. Now it was a tough call to make, and it was it could have gone wrong for me because of all the modern guys. You know, Sergio, you put all our best players in the last couple of decades before Sam's era. So you know, you you take the great players, the Polters, and you take the Westwoods, and you take the Sergios, and. Um, Montes and Darren and, you know, put all of those players in. You know, Luke's winning percentage is 70%, which is superior than all of those. So we had natural partnerships in the team as well too. Um, but, you know, it, it was a tough call, but I just didn't think there was enough form there to play the big heavy golf course that it was going to be. And who knows? Maybe it was the wrong call. Maybe we would have won by more having you in. So you've all been part of winning teams in the Ryder Cup. What would you pinpoint is the difference between Winning and losing. A lot of tears. <laughs> Being in the right place at the right time. People doing things. Paul making that wonderful for it. Last at the Belfry to win it for us. And it comes down to so little at the end of the week. I mean, it can be half a point. But that's all like about the golf, right? I wonder whether you, whether the three of you think a captain actually can win or lose a Ryder Cup. Or whether that's putting too much emphasis and pressure on that role. It's all about the golf. Yeah, it's about it's the players about and the it's golf. about the, the golf. The captain's in a very strong position that's putting the people out there to play their best game. It's about creating the platform, as I say. You're not, you're not hitting the shots, but you are creating the platform. You're putting the pairings together and you're creating the energy, you're creating the buzz, you're creating the atmosphere in the team room. And you're trying to create a platform that is phenomenal and exciting so the players go out and they play um, to the best of their ability. And I'm, I can speak from experience in... in 
uh, under Sam, um, he talks about Panvik on off his game. I went off his, my game too. I was sixth in the money list to qualify 2001 for my first Ryder Cup. 9-11 happened. It's cancelled. I come back 12 months later and I'm um, you know, 40th in the money list and I'm missing more cuts than I'm making and my form is off, but I've got to play because it's the same team in play that qualified. But when I went in, as I say, the effusiveness in that team room, the energy, the vibe, I remember, I mean, it was so so innocent in some ways, Sam. I, I remember, I remember... Um, but you know, I, I I got on a high from that, and all of a sudden I forgot about my you know my game being moderate, and, and I went out and performed really well, culminating in holding a winning putt. And I promise you, I promise you, not because he's saying it here, I'm sitting here, I would, I've said it so many times, I would not have held that putt, I wouldn't have been in that mindset to hold a putt without Sam and how he managed me, um, and how he made fe- me feel like I was the most important guy in the team, even though I was the guy he was probably worried about. One of the most about because I was miles off form. No, it and, wasn't actually. There was much worse than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember team room. I remember team meetings, and and this was before your time, Luke. And the team meeting it's so different now. Um, you know, everything is so clinical and team rooms and everything. But I remember the team meetings uh, in the evening times were in Sam's bedroom. Sam had a penthouse in 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 the Belfry, so we had a situation where we were actually in the bedroom in the bed. And guys lying on the bed, some on the floor, some on the sofa, Sam holding a meeting, and Suzanne next door drying her hair, blow drying her hair. That was the team meetings uh, at, in the Belfry, but it created that sense of congeniality and, and fun and all in it together. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that kind of vibe, certainly from my experience, lifted me yeah. and lifted me to a performance level. What year was level. that again? That was in 02. Right, so this is, like, you've got to find a way somehow 21 years later, actually, haven't you, in this era of social media and mobile phones and to try and f- recreate that sense of togetherness. Have you, have you thought about... Oh, it's already involves? happening. It's already happening. You know, we obviously, the practice trip we just did was a, was a huge thing. To, towards that, just to get everyone in the same team room, uh, start discussing all that kind of stuff. You know, we've we've had group chats together, uh, opening up uh, about all kinds of stuff. And uh, you know, I think again, for me as a captain, your role is to try and create that culture, that environment for them to succeed. You know, we just need them to to play to their ability. You know, we don't need to outperform their ability or anything. They play to their ability. They're more than good enough to win so uh, you've already, and handle that pressure. You've already headed out then. Is that what you're saying? That that practice trip, you've been to the course already? We've been to the course, yeah. Right. And has that been, of previous captains done that? Um, it's actually the first time, I, I believe, uh, that we've done a practice trip. Um, we did it. Yeah. In Belfry. The Belfry, so I'm sure, so you went I'm out sure and, it has happened. Right. Yeah. And it's um, about trying to what, relax the players before the sort of think, full glare you know, the, of the world's media. Just get a feel of it. Yeah, get the feel. Um, get get the twelve guys in the same room together. Get them feel comfortable. Some of the rookies getting to know the the more established superstar players that you know, two, three, four in the world. You know all that kind yeah. of stuff, and just get them feeling comfortable around each other. And again, you're trying to create that energy, that vibe. So, how um, did you do that, Luke? Again, I've always felt like the, the, our, our ability to come together, our unity is sort of the bedrock of a lot of the success we have. Um, you know, so keeping that individual mindset, but making them feel like they're a team, that, they're, um, that they have a great opportunity to do something great together, to create history, uh, to leave a legacy, and to kind of pass on what they do in this Ryder Cup to, to future generations. You know, and I think a lot of the guys are 
want to play Ryder Cups because they're inspired by the people that come before them as well. So it's it's just cre- it's understanding the history and recognizing that and wanting to play your role and, and try and create your own history. Nice. Yeah, to answer, you're just thinking again too as well too the role of the captain compared to the players and absolutely not. You know, it's, it's, it is about the players as Sam says, but also the captain makes big decisions tactically that can determine the outcome. Uh, and I'm thinking of Medina in, in 2012 and how we put out the team singles, four points behind. We knew we had to get momentum. We knew we had to put our strength at the top and we knew we had to try to eat into that lead. The worst thing we could do was lose to was lose to the first three matches and fall further behind. So what we do is we tactically put out the team. We put out Luke, um, who was a Chicago boy, out number one, big heart. That's the kind of guy you play number one. I think we put Poulter too, who just done his heroics on a Saturday. I think it was Rory three. I think it was then Justin Four and, and, and maybe Paul Laurie, who played so well in 99 in Brookline, away from home. And we knew that he had a guy with a big heart to play in, in that role. Um, so, and, and then we won. I think we won all those five points. So now we're one point ahead. Now the guys in the bottom are in America, are thinking, oh my God, I thought we were going to win this easily. We were walking the park. We, we, we've lost our lead. And Tiger Woods was the best player in the world that year, 2012. And they put him out number 12. You know, Tiger should have been number one. And they wouldn't make that mistake now. I think America have moved on a lot. They've had the task force and they've learned a lot of lessons. And I, I can't see Zach making that mistake because certainly Steve Stricker didn't. And, um, I, you know, they're the kind of things where the captain does have a role. Mm. Um, but absolutely, it's absolutely, you know, captains don't win the Ryder Cups, uh, but they can help help create that platform. So how much scenario planning are you doing then, Luke, for moments like that of if we're four down... How am I going to react if I'm two up? How, how much? I mean, that... I mean, I already have a pretty a decent plan of what what I, I expect some of the groupings to be on Friday. I think again that that can change. We still have um, a couple of weeks to go, but um, you know, the, I think for Friday um, again, uh, I think what what you really want to do is get all the twelve guys out on the course. You know, you want to show show faith in all of them that you're 12 strong that you you trust in them um and you you kind of have a good plan in friday obviously through friday you you observe the players and you see how they're playing and sometimes you have to make adjustments for saturday because of that so it becomes a little bit uh, that's when the decision making really starts hitting in i think uh, on friday afternoon is what i imagine certainly what i experienced a little bit as a vice captain but you know, I think that Friday, the um, you know, I have a, a, a reasonable idea of like some of the pairings that I'm already going to have. Do you still get to pick foursomes first, four ball first? Yes. Uh, I'm um, not asking you to give that away. I'm not sure be, if that's public knowledge yet. But no, yeah, but you I mean, do pick whether it's foursomes yeah, first or four ball first. Always, Excellent. Always yeah. You know, and we get the ability to. Uh, set up the golf course um, in a, in a way that that we feel like will, will favor our players. You know, we, again, we have guys that are looking in depthly into all the statistics. What are we good at? What are we are we better at driving than them? Are we where are we weaker than them? Can we take away their advantage? Can we help with our advantage? Again, the statistics are they're small either way, but we know that like so little important. bits here and there can can make a big difference. So. Yeah. Um, all these little things that that, that you look at um, leading up to the matches, again, just to try and tip the scales in your favour a little bit. Yeah, and for a, for a few of those players, it will be their very first experience, right, of playing in this white hot heat of the Ryder Cup. You've got four rookies in your in your setup. You could all sit here and say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, the rivalry's intense," but I think 
better than that for people listening to this is an example of when you've been in a moment where you've really felt that rivalry. If I was to ask each of you to tell us a story or a moment that springs to mind when you really felt that Europe-USA rivalry, where does your brain take you to? It's just always there. Every single shot? Yeah, it's, it's Europe against America from Friday morning to Sunday night. May the best team win. It doesn't really change. I think we're we're all very cognizant of the history, you know, and the, and what's gone before, and you know why that why there is that passion. There is a big rivalry, you know, from Seve and instances in the past. Oh, Seve! You know, <laughs> you know, it's just it's sport, and you you want to win. It's just uh, it's just an amazing feeling. The Ryder Cup. It doesn't. You don't. You don't get that feeling. Get goosebumps. Uh, no, you just. Yeah, you I just, mean, it's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. The fr- France. The first team in France was just as you know when they started that. The clap. That was just incredible. I mean, goosebumps. So can I jump in there then, Sam, and ask how do you control the emotion to be able to go out and play effectively without it overwhelming you? Um, you stay in the moment and don't get ahead of yourself and don't don't even think about getting involved with the crowd or you know you're doing a job out there and when you watch a player win a major they'll get excited we'll be excited when they're all along there's still three holes to go the one ahead but in the Ryder Cup just win the hole and just go to the next don't don't matter don't run about mad just try and stay in that same mode the whole day without getting yourself put out of place What about you Paul you nodded I'd have a slightly different view than that because I remember, Sam, um, I don't know if you remember this, in, in that meeting in your bedroom, um, when... You're not going to tell that one. <laughs> uh, about Suzanne, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, I, it was a Tuesday or Wednesday and at the end of the meeting, it weren't very long meetings, they were 10, 15 minutes long, um, and at the end of the meeting you said, has anybody anything to say before we before we wrap up here? It was the Monday or the Tuesday, we'd only got there, one of our first meetings. And Parnovic said, yeah, I've got something to say. I thought Parnovic gave some great insights. Um, um, I thought he was off his game. He, he said two very, very relevant things uh, that I took a lot out of. Um, and, and the first one was, he said, um, I, I just want to say to the rookies playing at home, there's going to be a big energy coming from the crowd. And it's up to you as a player to decide what you're going to do with that energy. You can take it and ride it like a surf and you can get engaged with the crowd or you can do as Sam says and disconnect and just play. He said, neither one is right, neither one is wrong. You as a player have to decide which, which one is best for you. And, and I remember then Darren Clark talking to me about what he used to do with look into the crowd and just smile. And just, just by the body language of smiling, it raised the decibels again more. Um, and, and, you know, I, I certainly use that during the week. You know, I remember, you know, very much engaging with the crowd when I hold a pot, feeling that I was doing it for them. Um, and I remember standing on this, you asked me about the, mo- about, about the moment there, Damien, a minute ago. I remember standing on the 16th hole in the four balls, last game on the golf course with Darren. We were one down playing 16. I'd hit it into about six feet and I had the six footer to go all square. The matches were level at that stage, so depending on how this match finished, it would be determined how we were going into the singles. And I remember having this put from six feet, everybody was finished, and I this to go all square. And that's a moment where you get scared, and that's a moment where you think, oh my God, I hope I don't miss, and I hope I don't you know, let everybody down. And for some reason, something came into my head. If you believe in spirituality or wherever it came from, I don't know. Um, and what came into my head was, 
this place, remember, this is the only, only game on the course, is 15 deep, yeah, 15, 20 deep around the green, is going to go ballistic if I hold this. So rather than thinking, oh my God, I hope I don't miss, I felt the opposite. Now I'm playing to my, now my ego was like out of control. It's like, oh my God, if I hold this, this place is going to go nuts. Now I couldn't wait to hold a putt. I hit a great putt in the middle of the hole, crowd went absolutely ballistic, and I totally engaged with the crowd. Um, you know, and I brought that into my captaincy in 14 and I had a huge image, a lot of imagery that were important with messages I want to get to the players rather than just saying to them, I wanted to portray messages through images. And I had a picture of Justin Rose that I got superimposed with smoke coming out of his hands. Walking and the smoke came up the back, yeah. And all the crowd behind. And it was basically, you have the power of 60,000 people in the palms of your hands. And when you stand in that first tee and rather than thinking, oh my God, you know, get the tee in the ground. I hope I don't miss it. I hope I don't sky it or block it. Just think, when it goes quiet, this place is going to rock if I rip it down the middle of the fairway. So it's, it's like a reframing of, of the moment uh, and, and being really empowered by the moment rather than afraid of the moment. And, and you know, and then you smash it down the middle and the, and the crowd just go ballistic. They want a reason to scream. Um, I don't mind the crowd going ballistic. You don't want to go ballistic. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, everybody's different. You know, some people want to ride the wave and some people want to be calm, you know, like like Sam obviously was, like Langer certainly was, like Luke probably was. Uh, and then somebody like Sergio. I mean, look at Sergio. How good did Sergio put in Ryder Cups compared to majors and other events? Why? Because he was empowered. He, he was engaged. And yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, getting this balance? Because, you know, you're... You're very calm and controlled and you look very relaxed at the moment. But there is also this thing of getting people in the moment, isn't there, as well? But without being so much in the moment that it kind of it impairs their golf rather than improves it. I mean, it's, it's a high-pressure situation. I think, you know, a lot of these golfers are used to that. But the Ryder Cup is a different level. It's, again, when you're playing for your teammates, there's more pressure. When you're playing for your country, um, you know, all these kind of real intrinsic motivators uh, that are real and what makes the Ryder Cup so special. But I think it always, again, you want to, again, be on the front foot. Uh, always, you know, and, and if you feel like you're on the back foot and you feel like you're doubting yourself, just reframe your mindset, as Paul says, you know, turn it into something like a challenge, you know, like, uh, bring it on, like, I've got this, you know, look at the crowd, let's make the crowd smile, you know, all that, those kind of little keys that I would certainly have used as a, a, an individual level, you know, in the high pressure situations, I certainly had to rely on those in, in Ryder Cups. And, you know, even as calm as I am on a golf course, Ryder Cups brought out some, some passion in me too. I would bite my lip and fist pump and I, I just, just nothing quite like match play you know I think it's such a, a different mindset you know I was never one of the longer players so I was always hitting into first into greens I love the ability to put pressure on people I love the ability to switch a hole turn a hole around when it looked like I was going to lose I'd chip one in they had three putt and you know that that psychology uh, of match play is really really fun for me I, I've just uh, again that's maybe why I've been quite quite good at match play over the years I, I don't know but I just love that mentality just to say the roar that he's talking about, not only does it lift the crowd around the green, mm. every other player on the team knows that's See, a that European blue. roar. That's right, yeah. You can tell that's the roar. definitely European. Or if it's a wee, oh, the Americans just hold the <laughs> You know, so th th that's important too. That's a, a, a and reverse when you're playing away from home. Exactly. You want it quiet. We've got a few quick fire questions especially for you as the current captain. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours 
as the Ryder Cup captain that you want to see or that you want to instill in the team? For me, it would be consistency, communication, fun. When you look at Team USA, what scares you most and why? Uh, I'm scared that uh, they they beat us pretty badly two years ago. You know, they, they've certainly begun to understand that, you know, becoming a, a, a close-knit team is, is important. So, yeah, we're up against it. Uh, they're, they're a very strong team. Uh, we have a, a, a big mountain to climb, and we're certainly, you know, on the floor from, from two years ago. We understand that. Uh, we're certainly underdogs, but, uh, you know, I think we, we understand that we still have a, a good opportunity to, to get that cut back. What will be your final message to the players on that first morning? First morning, uh, again... I think Paul just said it. You know, be yourself. We're hurting from whistling straights. Let's uh, be the hunter, start fast and get that early lead. Let's put pressure on the Americans early and see how they react. What one person has had the biggest impact on the type of captain that you're going to be? I mean, say your message quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Mrs. is, is uh, my wife's obviously a great support, but uh, I, I've tried to learn from all of them. You know, to be honest, I think that the most similar captain that I served under was 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 Bernard Langer. Again, I love that that detail. I love that stuff. But I've I've talked to a lot of them. I've talked to Paul a lot. I've talked to uh, Padre. I've talked to Thomas Bjorn. I've talked to Jose Maria. Um, you know, so I mean, it goes on and on. You just try and take little bits. I've, I've learned a, f- a few things uh, in the last hour that we've been talking. So, you know, those things have gone in the head uh, for, for, for what will happen in that team room in a couple of weeks. Very good. And this is the final question and it is to all three of you. We'll start with you, Paul, and work around. We normally ask at the end of these conversations one golden rule to living a high-performance life. But today the question is your one golden rule to winning the Ryder Cup. The golden rule is to create an environment for players to go out unburdened and unshackled and inspired to play as good as they can play. Beat the guy that's in front of you. Guy that's standing on the first tee looking at you. Show no fear, look him in the eye, shake his hand, say good luck, then beat him or them. Yeah, I think a clear plan and a great culture. Again, a great environment for them to succeed. Give them purpose. We're all behind you. Good luck. Thanks. Damien. Jake. Um, I really enjoy when you have three people like that, um, seeing the energy, seeing how the three of them get on, the little sort of uh, relationship between them. Yeah, I love the dynamic where they sort of giving each other little tips and like remembering certain moments that they've shared with each other. I think it's a real privilege. It's like being invited into the locker room, isn't it? So are you feeling more confident after that about Europe winning the Ryder Cup? I think Luke's very authentic as a leader. You know, I I think that there's no one-size-fits-all, as I think Paul and Sam demonstrated. One of them goes on emotion, one of them goes on the idea of logic, like Luke said, he's just going to be himself. He's going to tap into that sense of belonging that Paul was really hot on, but actually do it in a calm, methodical way. So I think if authenticity is the measure... I think he's going to be successful. I also like the fact that yet again we're seeing a quiet leader get promoted. You know, we spoke to Joss Butler on the podcast. He's a quiet leader. Gareth Southgate, a quiet leader. Eddie Howe, a quiet leader. I love the fact that we're in an era of sport where 
it's not just the loudest person in the room that ends up being the person in charge, but actually probably the person that deserves it the most, whether they're loud or quiet. Yeah, there's a really interesting phrase on that. People often put it in binary terms. They say you're either an introvert or an extrovert, but there's a phrase called an ambivert, which means that you're somewhere in the middle that you get your energy from hanging around with yourself and maybe being a bit more reflective, but you're capable of then going out to a group and engaging with them. And I think Luke's a great example of somebody that's probably an, an ambivert, if we put it in those terms. He also strikes me as someone who doesn't talk too much, so when he does, you listen. But also, um, like when he does talk, he talks with such clarity, as you said, such authenticity. It feels to me like a leader that the players are going to respect and and listen to almost more because he hasn't. He's not someone who's made a career out of being a loud person on the tour. Yeah, and you know, like he said as well, that he spent the last 14 months actually going and playing with these guys, watching them in key moments and observing them and talking to them. So there's that phrase that comes up so often with our leaders when they talk about the power of trust. They trust that whatever decision you're going to make, they trust the process that you've taken to get to that conclusion. And I think the clarity of his message means that that trust is certainly going to be in place. And he constantly spoke, didn't he, about the last 13, 14, 15 months. And it's a great reminder for all of us that we'll tune in to watch the Ryder Cup and we'll be like, oh yeah, Luke's taking charge. I imagine he's thought about this for the last few weeks. The truth is this is like years in the making and it's another reminder to come to these kinds of moments in life with empathy and understanding and just to get a bit more depth about what's truly involved in this sort of thing. Yeah, and I'll admit I was ignorant about the fact that you have to apply for the job and the process of almost going for a job interview and being clear about this is the type of leader I am, this is how I'll handle certain moments. This is a man that's been preparing for this for all his professional life. I loved it. Thanks, mate. Absolute privilege, that one. Thank you, mate. Well, how about that? What a cool episode, hey? I'd love to know what you thought of it. Don't forget, you can also watch this on YouTube. Join the tens of millions of people who are watching our content right there. I would love you to also hit subscribe, either on your podcast provider or on YouTube. It allows us to grow and it allows us to bring even more incredible guests to this podcast. Look, huge thanks to you for growing, for sharing, for talking about this podcast among your community. Please continue to spread the learnings you're taking from these episodes. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you very soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.